0: Well, many of you know that each year, Oxford Dictionaries comes out with whatever was that year's word of the year, and it's usually not a word that was invented that year, but it's usually a word that really took off that year, and the word of the year in 2016, so just a couple years ago, was the word post-truth, right? You've heard people talking about how we live in a post-truth society, and that word wasn't invented in 2016, it actually originated, people think, in 1992, but between 2015 and 2016, the use of the word post-truth went up by 2,000%. And so Oxford Dictionary gave it the title of the 2016 word of the year. Fortunately, one of the words it beat out was a word that I don't think is actually a real thing called adulting. <laughs> so thankfully, that was not the word. That's where you act like you get credit for doing things that adults just have always done. You call it, I'm adulting right now. No, that's not a thing. That's stupid. And that's not a word. But the word that won the, the word of the year was post-truth. And uh, in post-truth, you've heard people talk about this probably in politics or in media or in that sort of a thing. Here's the definition that Oxford gives to it, is relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So there's the actual objective facts. Here's what happened. Here's what can be seen. Here's what took place. But we set that aside. That doesn't really shape my beliefs about something, my impact on kind of how I view the world. Because I have my own beliefs. I have my own partisan politics. I have my own ideology. I have my own emotions. And that, those facts happen to get in the way of what I've already decided is true. And so I'm going to ignore those facts. I live in a post-truth mindset. Now this is everywhere. You see this in politics. Politicians are always doing things that just absolutely ignore the truth of what happened in order to tell a different story. The media does this, right, where they begin to report on things. We're going, is that reporting or is that, what's your angle? And the result of this, you see the destruction of a lot of our kind of social and cultural fabric because we don't trust anything anymore. We don't trust what politicians say. We don't trust the reporters who theoretically report on what they say. We, we just don't trust this stuff. You can kind of feel the fabric of what was kind of a common held trust ripping apart. Now, here's what I've been thinking about as it relates to the idea of post-truth, is what if post-truth never becomes a thing culturally unless it becomes a thing personally first, Is it possible that this post-truth phenomenon in politics and in media is not something that they created, but is actually something that all of us are already doing, living post-truth lives, and therefore it creates the soil for that kind of thing to grow? And what if, just in the same way that this post-truth reality publicly destroys the kind of cultural fabric, what if post-truth living personally also destroys the fabric of our lives and our families and our relationships and our marriages and our kids. What if what if it has the same devastating effect? Well today what we're looking at is the Apostle Paul challenging us in light of who we are in Christ to embrace the truth rather than live a post-truth life to actually lean into what's true. Now he's doing that in response to everything he's written up to this point. So let me just review this if you haven't been with us or if maybe it's been a while since you've been with us. In chapters 1 to 3 of this book to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has been laying out this new identity that we have in Christ, that we have been chosen, we have been adopted into God's family, we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven, we've been cleansed, we've been made new, we've been sealed with God's Holy Spirit. As a result of that, our chief identity is not our race or our background or our economic status or our hobbies or our skills or our giftedness. It's Christ, who we are in Christ. That's our main identity is what he says in chapters 1 to 3. Then when you get to chapter 4, what Paul's been saying up to this point is that new identity demands new living. If you say that the chief thing, the most important thing in your life is your relationship with Jesus, if you say that, that demands that you live in a way that's consistent with it, that you're increasingly actually becoming like Jesus. Now get this, it's not that through doing good things and acting like Jesus, you get forgiven. Rather, what Paul's saying is if you're forgiven, if you're cleansed, if you're made new, live like it. Live, this is what we said last week, live like the new creation you are. And so that's what Paul has been saying. Look at what he says, starting in chapter 4, verse 17. This is what we looked at last week. He says, Now I say, this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He's saying, listen, there's a way of walking, there's a way of living that makes sense for those who don't have anything to do with Jesus. But that's not you anymore. So don't live like that anymore. And he describes what it is to grow up into Christ, to grow up into maturity. He describes it in verse 22 as putting off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's an old self and there's a new self. Think about it this way, LeBron James is in free agency right now. It's all you can read about on ESPN.com is how LeBron James is maybe going to pick a different team. And let's just imagine, one of the articles I saw was every NBA team's pitch to LeBron James. As if the Suns have a shot at LeBron James, right? Like, I thought, this is... What fantasy world are we living in? But just imagine for a moment that the Suns were able to make a successful pitch to LeBron James, and LeBron James decided he was going to come, the best basketball player in the world, he was going to come play for the Phoenix Suns. And imagine there's this huge rally out at the airport, everybody's there eager to greet him, and as LeBron James steps off the plane, he's wearing his Cleveland Cavaliers jersey. You'd be like, dude, what? What's up with that? Like, you're not not on the calves anymore. That's not your, you're a son now. Take off that dumb Cavalier shirt. Put on your new identity. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you're on a new team now. You used to be on this team where you live for yourself and you live for the world. That's not you anymore. Take that jersey off. Put on the new one. That's what he's been talking about. Now, in this next section, and we're actually going to go very slow through this. We're going to go like a verse to two verses at a time. Which I know some of you that have been with us have been like, I didn't know we could go slower through Ephesians. Well, we're going to slow it down. We're hitting the brakes. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look just a little bit at a time. Because what Paul does is he takes this big idea of put off your old self, put on your new self, and he gets really specific okay, let me show you what this looks like. And so each week what we're going to do is look at something that he's calling us to put off, something he's calling us to put on in its place. Because you don't just take off bad stuff, you replace it with something good. And then he gives a reason. Here's the reason. Here's why. So I want to just overview with you real fast what we're going to look at in these next six weeks. Here in verse 25, he's going to say, put off falsehood, put on speaking truth. And why? Because we're members of one another. We belong to each other. In verses 26 and 27 next week, he's gonna say, put off sinful anger, put on reconciliation. Why? Because sinful anger gives opportunity to the devil. It's not just that it's wrong, but it actually opens a door for the enemy to inhabit your life. Verse 28 put off stealing, put on hard work. Why? So you can give generously. Verses 29 and 30 put off corrupting talk, put on encouragement. Why? Because you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is grieved when you tear people down with your words. Chapter four thirty one to five two put off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Put on kindness, tenderness, forgiveness, love. Why? Because Christ forgave you. You've been forgiven, so treat others like you've been treated. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, put off sexual immorality and coveting. Instead, put on thanksgiving. Be thankful for the relationships you have. Why? Because you belong to Christ's kingdom. Now, here's what's fascinating. None of these things are really like, uh, I don't know. I, I was kind of thinking as a Christian, I should devote myself to stealing. All right, this is not new information. And, and yet, I, I, I think it's important that we actually slow down. And look at and consider, what would it look like to really live new? How would it impact our words? How would it impact our work? How would it impact our sexuality and relationships? How would it impact our generosity? How would it impact our attitude to get very specific? And so that's what we're going to do over these next six weeks. So today... We're beginning with verse 25, put off falsehood, put on speaking truth. Why? Because we're members one of another. If you're a new creation with a new identity, where you begin, that's where you begin. And so let's pray and we'll dive in. Father in heaven, thank you for the new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we don't wear the jersey anymore of sin and self, but that we wear a new identity robe of righteousness that was purchased through the blood of Christ. Thank you that we're found in him by faith. God, we, as your people, we want to live like it. God, not to impress you, not to earn your favor, but because we love you and we want to live in a way that fits with the new creation you've made us to be. So God, use your word now, use your truth to help us walk in the light, walk in your truth. We ask of it, we ask it of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is a very simple sermon outline. It's going to be so for the next six weeks or so. It's real easy. Put off lying. Put on speaking truth because we belong to each other. So first, put off lying. The way Paul says in verse 25 is, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Put off lying, put off falsehood. Here's what's fascinating about this text is in the Greek language where he says, having put away falsehood, what it literally says is having put away the lie. Definite article, the lie. Having put away the lie, now live in the truth. Well, what does Paul mean when he says having put away the lie? Well, here's the reality. The devil is the father of lies, Jesus tells us in John 8:44 he says the devil's the father of lies when the devil lies it's his native language it's his native tongue and so humanity was plunged into sin after the devil lied to Adam and Eve that's what you read about in Genesis 3 even though God had made everything good in Genesis 1 and 2 he'd made Adam and Eve in his image they had everything they could ever want he wasn't holding back on them the devil comes in Genesis 3 and says are you sure that God's for you? You know, actually, God knows that if you eat from this tree, you'll be like him. God, listen, God's holding out on you. I know you think you got the good life. You don't. God, God's holding out. God has not given you everything you need. You need something besides him. That's the lie. That's the lie that permeates history that permeates our thinking, that permeates our motives, that permeates our culture, that permeates our world. The lie is that we are better off on our own without God because God can't be trusted. That's the lie. It comes into the world in Genesis 3, and that, 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 that eating of the, the fruit and believing that lie that Adam and Eve did, that we all do, The Apostle Paul describes that in Romans 1 as exchanging the truth about God for a lie. So when we sin, we're buying into the lie that we're better off without God, that we don't really need him, that he can't be trusted. Well, Jesus comes, and when Jesus comes, how is he described in the Gospels? A lot of different ways. Two notable things is he's described as being the light in John 3, the light has come into the world. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. But Jesus comes as the light. Now, people don't want to do with that, right? They're like, like me when I go, you know, to the bathroom in the middle of the night. You know, and you go and you, like, turn the light on and you're like, oh, it hurts so bad. And so you turn off the light and do your best. <laughs> My wife's like, well, you could do a little better. Right? But you hide from the light because it's like, oh, that's painful. That, I don't like that. That, that. that gets in my way. But Jesus came as a light. And he came, it also says in John 14, as the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus came to obliterate the lie that we're better off without God. We're better off on our own. God can't be trusted. This is what it says in 1 John 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus destroyed that by saying, listen, God can be trusted. You're better off with him, and I'm going to make a way for you to get to him through my death and through my resurrection. Trust in me, and you can have the life that God created you to have. That's how Jesus obliterates the lie. So what Paul says here then in verse 25 is, having put away the lie having put away falsehood, having been a person who has bought into the truth and the light of Jesus, live like it. Here's what he's saying. He's saying if Jesus has obliterated the big lie and you are in Jesus, then you are called to obliterate the little lies. You can't just make peace with a bunch of little lies, a bunch of little phony things, a bunch of little things that aren't true. No. Why? Because you are part of Christ. And Christ has destroyed the works of the devil, and the works of the devil is to lie. So having put away falsehood, Paul's saying, he says it actually like matter of fact, like you already did this. But the reality is we have to keep doing it. We have to put off lying. Now, when you think of lying, you think obviously about just not telling the truth. Somebody asks you a question, and you tell them something that's not true. And we all would say, well, we all lie from time to time. But but I've never anybody that's like, you know what? I'm a liar. I I, I just, I'm a liar. No one has ever set up an appointment with me, said, Pastor, I really need to talk to you. What's going on? I'm a liar. And you know why nobody thinks they're a liar? Because they're liars. And we've all lied to ourselves, right? That's where lying really begins, is self-deception, where we we lie to ourselves. We we trick ourselves into believing our story, even though it's not true. And so lying is obviously like saying things that are explicitly not true. But lying is actually even more subtle than this. Think about this. There's at least four other ways that we lie. We lie when we downplay. Downplaying. Giving little weight to your sins giving little weight to your circumstances, your successes or your emotions. You just sort of, you you know, you don't want to feel too high. You don't want to feel too low. So you just downplay everything. It's kind of a cynical approach to life. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that good. It's just, you know, you're not honest about what you think. You're not honest about what you feel. You're not honest about how bad you mess something up. You're not honest about the impact that you're having on the people around you. You downplay it. And it's not honest. One of the ways that I see this a lot is is in relationships, somebody hurts someone, and the person who's hurt feels hurt. And they think about it. They get angry. They might cry. They might journal. They might spend all this time thinking about the perfect scenario in which this issue would come up again, and they could zing them and get back. We plot our kind of relational revenge And then maybe in one of the better case scenarios, maybe the person that that hurt you comes to you and says, you know what? I realize that what I did was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I, I acted inappropriately. I acted selfishly. I'm sorry. And You know what we say? It's okay. It's okay. No, it's not. You didn't think that when you had your little doll out of them and you were poking holes in it. Right? It's not just okay. No, it's, it really hurt. It really bothered you. And yet we downplay it. That's not honest. Now, we don't have to say, well, good, it's about time you said something because I hate you. Right? We don't have to do that. <laughs> but it might be okay to say, you know what? I really appreciate you saying that. It did hurt me. And I did think that what you did was wrong. And that means a lot that you would come to me and I forgive you. That's, a, that's an honest response rather than downplaying. Another way that we lie is we exaggerate. So if downplaying says, ah, oh, it's no big deal, it's not that bad, it's not that good, exaggerating is the other. It's bigger than you think, it's worse than you think, it's better than you think. It's everything is super significant. We do this to get attention, we do this so that people will notice. And we exaggerate in the way we talk to each other, how great things are, how happy we are to see people, how much we plan to do with them. Or like one of my favorite exaggerations is, oh, it's so great to see you. Yeah, let's totally, let's get together. I'll call you. No, you won't. If you wanted to get together, you're in the same room right now. We could do it right now. But you don't want to. (laughs) But you say you do. Why? You exaggerate. It's not true. Third way that we lie is by faking, keeping up appearances, trying to maintain an image, trying to like, carefully curate how people think about us. We do this all the time. One of the biggest ironic ways that I see us doing it as a culture is through Finstagram accounts. Now, some of you are like, I don't know what any of this is. OK, try to hang with me for a minute. Instagram is a social media tool where you post pictures of yourself or quotes or things you're doing or whatever. It's great. It's an awesome way to involve people in what's going on in your life. But what a lot of people, especially young people, have realized is that your Instagram account is kind of your personal brand. Employers are going to Google your name and maybe find your Instagram account that has your real name on it. And so you better be doing really respectable things in there. And so people very carefully curate their Instagram account. But then what they do is they create also a Finstagram account, which is fake Instagram. It's really on Instagram, but they create some crazy name that no one would Google and find. And on that one, they post all the real pictures of their life that they wouldn't want people to see. So get this. Do you see the irony of this? On my real Instagram account, I post fake stuff to curate the image on my fake Instagram, I post real stuff that I don't mind people seeing. Now, have an Instagram account? Have a Instagram account? Whatever. My point is, whether you're on social media or not, you're all—we're all curating our own personal brand. How do I look? How do I come across? This is the thing that Jesus spoke perhaps most strongly against in the New Testament, because the Pharisees were the ones that were constantly doing this. They were faking. They were phonies. They were hypocrites. Listen, a hypocrite is not someone who says one thing and does another. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something they're not. That's what the Pharisees were doing constantly, and Jesus had strong words to say. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones, Jesus said. He said, you're a bunch of liars, you're a bunch of fakes. We lie when we fake. We also lie when we hide. Hiding is concealing the truth, hiding who you really are, hiding what's really going on, hiding the things that you're actually doing. Where are you hiding? I don't want one of the places that I am tempted to hide and have hidden before. Pull into the garage, get the food wrappers out of the car, walk them out to the trash can, make sure to dig them kind of underneath some other trash, so whoever goes out to empty the trash won't see them. You ever hide food, hide what you're eating? Because you know, gosh, if my spouse saw that, if my kid, uh, it's, it's deceitful. Maybe you're hiding. You're drinking. Maybe you've deceived yourself into how much you actually drink. You thought it was just a glass of wine here and there with dinner, but now it's a little more and it's a little more and it's a little more, and you're embarrassed about it, and so you're hiding Maybe it's financial. Some of you have bank accounts that your spouse knows nothing about with thousands of dollars in it. You have credit cards they don't know about. Listen, I'm not talking about, like, I'm going to try to hide the Amazon receipt during Christmas time so that my wife doesn't open it too early. I'm talking about you have constructed a whole situation where you have lots of money and lots of stuff they don't know about. That's hiding. Some of you are hiding an affair. You're hiding this relationship that you know is inappropriate, that you know you shouldn't have, and it's gone a little further and a little further and a little further, and you're already at the point that if your spouse found out, wherever it is, whether you've acted on it or not, you're embarrassed And so there's a lot of attention to, well, where's my phone? And let me make sure my texts look a certain way. And 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 you spend a lot of energy hiding. Listen. If you're a follower of Jesus, come into the light. Come into the truth. Put that off. Take that off. Stop hiding. Where are you hiding? See, you, you started and you thought, I'm not a liar. Yeah, you are. Because you're born in a world with a sinful nature built on a lie. And Jesus, in him, you are getting a new nature, a life of freedom, a life of light, a life of truth. So Paul tells us, put off falsehood, put off lying, and instead put on speaking truth. That's what he says. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So here he's specifically talking about the way we relate to one another, right? The the lies not here mostly that we tell ourselves, but the lies that we tell one another, the way we relate. And he says what we need to do is be people who speak truth. What does that look like? I just started reflecting this week on what does it look like to speak truth? People who tell the truth, what are they saying? What are they doing? And so I made a list, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but this is a list of people who are truthful. What do they do? Well, the first thing they do is they tell you what they really want or what they really expect. You know, by the way, don't you, that most of the frustration and disappointment in your life is due to unmet expectations? And if you have expectations, and you have things you want, and you have things you hope for, and you never tell them to anybody, why are you surprised when they get unmet? Listen, the people around you, they're not mind readers. you got to tell them, here's what I want. Here's what I want to do. You might have to think about it. You might have to reflect. And then, but truthful people tell what they really want or really expect. Similarly, they also tell how they're really feeling. And, and, and get this, I, I know that when you're kind of walking by people in the halls at church and they say, how you doing? I know what they're really saying is hi, right? And you probably don't want to be the person that says, well, I don't know you, but let me tell you exactly how I'm doing. Like you probably don't want to do that. But, but specifically the people in your life who say, how you doing? How are you feeling? What's going on really? Can you tell them? I have a friend. Actually, one of the things he does, he printed off a list of feelings. He was like, "I'm so disconnected to what I think and feel about things that I'm printing off a list of feelings." And before he goes in the house every day after work, he looks at this sheet to figure out how am I feeling, because my wife's going to ask me how am I doing, and I don't want to just go fine. So he can say, "I'm discouraged. I'm really happy. I'm afraid." I'm angry. Whatever it is. You go, well, Ash, that's silly. Is it? Is it silly to build intimacy in a relationship and in a family through walking in the truth? Or or is it silly to act like everything's fine when you don't even know? Speak the truth. People who tell the truth tell you when they'll miss a deadline or they'll disappoint you. right? Some of you, you know this. You have people at work who they, they miss a deadline, but you find out after. You go, gosh, that that doesn't help me. (laughs) If you knew you weren't going to hit this deadline, you knew you were going to disappoint me, you knew this wasn't going to be right, like, tell me in advance. Don't don't let me get there later. Truthful people tell you. They also tell you when they've blown it. When people confront you and say, hey, you said you were going to do this, and you told me that, but I didn't see that that's what happened, what do you do? Do you tell the truth? Truthful people tell the truth. Or do you downplay and go, well, whoa, 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 yeah, it's, I mean, what you're, expe- what you're expected wasn't exactly. Or no, do you exaggerate. You go, well, you know, oh my gosh, this amazingly terrible thing happened. I just wasn't able to get to it. Or do you kind of fake it and go, well, maybe they won't find out. No, tell the truth. Truthful people tell what others need to hear, even if it hurts. Some of you are like, yes, that's the one for me. I love telling people what they need to hear. Okay, if you're that eager about it, you probably need to pump the brakes a little bit. But some of you need to get way more courageous and tell the truth, even if it stings a little bit. There's a proverb, Proverbs 22:6 6, says that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, the person that's always kissing up, they're your enemy. Occasionally, a friend wounds you with the truth. And then here's something that all of us need to practice speaking the truth. As truthful people say, no. No. This feels good to say. It's hard to say, but it it actually feels good. So here's what I want you to do. Let's practice together. On the count of three, we're going to say no. All right? One, two, three. No. Come on, a little more zeal. One, two, three. No. All right, turn to your neighbor and tell him, no. I'm not going to do that. Listen, listen, a lot of times we end up lying because we should have said no in the first place. Can you commit to this? Yeah, sure, I got it. No, you can't. Do you have time for this? No. Do you want to do this? No. Are you going to be able to come through on this? No. Right? Truthful people say no. Listen, we think that we're like protecting other people by by telling them what they want to hear. The reality is we're making ourselves feel better in the moment, but in the end, we're going to hurt them. So say no. No. So, truthful people tell the truth. Now, get this. This is really, really important. This doesn't mean that truthful people tell everything they're thinking. That's a bad idea. Right? Some of you remember the old movie with Jim Carrey, Liar, Liar right where he's just totally disappointing his kid all the time cuz he's always lying and he's always saying he's going to come through and he doesn't and he's a lawyer and and so at his kid's birthday the, the kid wishes for his birthday oh i wish that for a day dad couldn't tell a lie and so he can't lie for a day but here's what makes that movie funny it's not that he can't lie it's that he says everything he's thinking and he makes a total fool of himself listen wisdom does not tell you everything you're thinking There's a wise way to tell the truth. Honey, does this dress make me look fat? (laughs) You look great, babe. That's true. (laughs) Don't tell everything you're thinking. Use wisdom. So, put off lying. Put on speaking truth. Why? What's the reason? Well, here's the reason that Paul gives. Because we belong to each other. Because we belong to each other. Look at what he says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors, for we are members one of another. We belong to each other. We're members. We're part of the same body. That word members, look at it at the end of verse 25. That word members, the Apostle Paul always uses that to describe body parts. We're part of the same body is what he's saying. You're the finger. I'm the hip. He's the neck. She's the knee. But we're all part of the same body. And because we're part of the same body, because we belong together, because we need each other, we have to function in the truth. Get this. Paul doesn't say put off lying, put on truth because it's right. Though it is. He doesn't say tell the truth because you should. Though you should. He says here's why. Because we're be- we belong to each other. We're part of a community. When you lie, it destroys trust in you. When trust is destroyed, it destroys relationships in your life. It destroys the people around you. And if you're a Christian, it destroys the church. Some of you know all too much about autoimmune disorders. Autoimmune disorders are these disorders that, that, that where, in a sense, the brain kind of lies to the body and tells it that, healthy tissue is sick and so your body begins to attack itself and the healthy tissue once attacked now becomes sick that's, that's exactly what Paul's saying Paul's saying listen when we lie to each other that's an autoimmune disorder it creates destruction in the community of people relationships are built on trust trust is built on truth now here's a warning I want to give you If you're going to move from the darkness to the light, if you're going to move from hiding to revealing, it's going to hurt. In fact, some of you, if you take the step that you know right now, God, by his spirit, is putting his finger on you, and he's telling you, you've been hiding this, You've been pretending this isn't there. You've been faking as though everything's okay. And he's zeroing in, he's beginning to touch you and you're really squirming inside because you're going, gosh, I, don't, I know what this means. Here's what it means. It means it's going to ruin your life for a moment, for a season. Maybe in some ways that are gonna be impossible to ever fully repair. If you're having an affair and you come clean on it, it's gonna ruin your life for a season. If you've been hiding money, it's going to ruin your life for a season. If you've been stuck in addiction and you've been faking as though you're not and you come clean on that, it's going to ruin your life for a season. But get this. What you're going to have in the long run is light and healing and life and truth. Because here's your option. I can't be any more clear than this. Your option is to bring it into the light, have it crush you for a season, and then be healed... Or to keep it in the dark until it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows, and you will have no confidence that you're in Christ at all because you'll be so consumed and so absorbed in your sin, and you will most likely die without Christ. No healing ever. Sin grows in the dark, friends. And so I know what I'm asking you to do, I don't ask it lightly. I don't think I'll just bring it into the light and it'll all go better. No, it'll go worse. It'll go a lot worse for a while. But if you bring it into the light in the body, in community, with other people who will love you and support you and walk alongside you and pray for you and encourage you, there's hope that God just might bring healing and life and freedom. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's why he died for you. That's why he offers himself to you. And that's why he calls you to live in the freedom that he gives. Let's pray. God, I know for me that as I began to dig into this passage, I thought, well, gosh, what what could this be? I mean, we all, we all know we're supposed to tell the truth. But Lord, I think by your Spirit, you've moved this morning. And you're convicting us of sin and you're inviting us into a new life by the Spirit. A life that is in line with the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, the enemy continues to lie to us. He continues to tell us that life in the dark is a better life, that you can't be trusted if we bring it into the light, that that it's better off the way we want to do it. God, would you in this moment destroy the works of the devil and give us faith in Christ that we might be free and live free even if it costs us dearly. God, give us hope, hope that comes through your cross. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.